I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We'll be looking at verse 21 to 34. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. May God bless the reading and hearing of its word and write its eternal truth upon our hearts today. Well, there's a saying from little acorns do big oaks grow. One of the things that I love about my office here in the church is that I have this great view of the big live oak tree that sits on the playground and its branches spread out and uh, kind of provides a canopy there and I can look out and, and see that beautiful old tree. I have here in my hand an acorn from that tree, this little acorn and of course you know what they all look like and that there's probably hundreds of them out there on the ground from that tree. But this little acorn, no smaller than the tip of your finger, uh, is got everything in it that's needed to make a, one of those big live oak trees that sit on this property and, and all up and down uh, the coast. It's hard to imagine that those big oak trees started out as just a little tiny acorn. Well, Jesus probably did not have oak trees around in his day in his part of the world but he did have the mustard plant that we read about here in this last parable that we just read the mustard seed is a small seed uh, and it was a saying in those days as small as a mustard seed now the idea is not so much about the smallness of the seed but it's the smallness of the seed compared to the immense growth of the mustard plant uh, it is a garden herb or herb. I can never remember uh, if you say herb or herb. In England they say herb, I think, and in America you say herbs. But mustard, the mustard is an herb. It's kind of like rosemary or thyme or parsley. And of course we go to the grocery store and we can see the, uh, you know, the plants that, and the, the size of that plant uh, that grow. But the mustard seed uh, grows to an amazing maximum height of 10 feet, almost like a tree. It's so big, this little herb or herb, 
It becomes practically a tree so that birds can nest in it. And it is like our saying, from little acorns do big oaks grow. We have here a series of parables in chapter 4 that tell us several things. And I just want to quickly sum up the main gist of these four or five different parables. First, Jesus tells us that the light comes, or the lamp comes. That's literally what the Greek says. The lamp comes and is not put under a basket or under a bed, and and it's not put on a stand. No, that doesn't make any sense at all. It comes to be revealed, to shine its light, light out and forth into the world. To, to dispel the darkness. And what Jesus is saying here is that it is inevitable that his kingdom will be revealed. He's teaching us about his kingdom in these parables. And he is saying that he is the light of the world. He is that lamp that has come, and the light cannot be contained. It's going to shine forth. Now, of course, that seems obvious to us. Why does he need to, to underscore this point for these people? Here in the first century. Well, it's because the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, was not going to be revealed in a manner that most of his first century audience was expecting. Um, They were expecting a new kingdom, a new regime to come in, but it was going to be through a military coup or uh, some type of government overthrow. Jesus says that his kingdom, the kingdom of God, is coming through the sowing of seed, through the word, through the gospel being put forth. The good news about Jesus is going to be broadcast and it's going to cause his kingdom to grow, but it's going to take time. So he's saying, look, the kingdom's going to be revealed. It's a light. It's going to shine forth. It's going to take time. He's trying to combat discouragement by saying that the revelation of the kingdom of light is inevitable, but will require patience. And we'll need to note that. We'll note it even more in a few moments. Then in verse 26, Jesus tells us that there is a process to the establishing of the kingdom of God. The kingdom, yes, is going to shine forth. It's going to be established. But it is a process. The word is sown. The gospel is proclaimed. And if you go back to to verse 1, the parable of the soils, the seed finds good soil, and God causes that seed to grow in the hearts of individuals in the hearts of God's people collectively and throughout the world. It's a process of growth. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. It reminds me of the corn that they grow up in the delta these days. Uh, you see it grow rapidly, but it starts off just as, you know, looks like grass out in the field. Well, it pains me to use this illustration as an Auburn graduate, but when Nick Saban took over as Alabama's coach, he talked a lot about what he called the process. He said it's all part of the process. You've got to be patient with the process. And what he was referring to is the process of transforming their team into a national championship contender. It took a little time, and there were some painful steps in the process, but no one can argue with the results now. The process has been completed. You might question the ethics, but not the results. I had to get that in there for you, Pam (laughs) and Ron. In in Jesus' kingdom, in which he ushers in, there's going to be results. It's going to come to fruition. But 
there is going to be a process before there's this great harvest that he refers to or this great tree that is that is that is grown fully and the birds of the air is nesting in it and that process needs to be uh, they need to be reminded of that process because it, it requires some patience and requires some faithfulness in the meantime now we can sum up these four parables because they they do all hang together including the parable of the soils we looked at last week, Jesus is pointing out that his kingdom may have small, obscure beginnings, kind of like the little acorn. But the growth is an irresistible process. It's going to happen, and it will be absolutely perfect in its ultimate success. He will establish a kingdom, that kingdom that we read about in Daniel chapter 2, the one that's going to wipe out all other kingdoms and they're going to turn to dust and his is going to fill the whole earth. Since this kingdom that Jesus is telling us about, that Jesus is ushering in, is the ultimate kingdom, the one that will supersede all human kingdoms, we want to make sure that we're citizens of that kingdom, that we're part of that kingdom. Now, I want to do a couple of things. First of all, I want to talk about the character of this kingdom that Jesus is establishing, that he's that is starting in obscurity, that is going through his process, and that will one day reach its fruition. What is, it, what is Jesus doing in the world? What's he actually seeking to accomplish in this kingdom? What is this kingdom? Well, if we go back to eternity, the triune God created everything. He rules over everything. He is the ultimate king of the universe. But in one little corner of that universe, planet Earth, a pinpoint of rebellion entered in. Two people were told not to eat the forbidden fruit and in an effort to become God themselves, to be like God, calling the shots in their own lives. They rebelled against God. Against his rule, they said, we want to rule our own lives. We want to be in charge. And they ate the forbidden fruit. And instead of obeying God, they broke his commandments. And the world, for the first time, had sin in it. And the brokenness that comes as a result of sin. And a curse was placed on the ground because of the sin of man. And everything became messed up and broken. Now, instead of wiping that pinpoint of rebellion off the map, which he had every right to do, instead of doing that, God chose to become a seed himself and enter that world, a little seed. Think about that for a moment. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke planets into existence by just the word of his power, became a single human cell in the womb of Mary in order to redeem a world that had gotten lost and broken. God humbled himself and became completely vulnerable, a baby that needed his diaper changed, lying in an animal trough. That was the God of the universe who humbled himself because he loved his people and wanted to establish his kingdom so bad. He entered into the world and he suffered 
You know, the kingdom that Jesus ushers in had very obscure beginnings, as we've already noted. But just to think about those obscure beginnings, a baby in a manger in a small town, insignificant town, Bethlehem. And then when he was born, no one really paid attention to the birth except some shepherds. And a little later on, a few wise men showed up. He lived on the wrong side of the tracks in Nazareth. You know, one of the disciples, when Jesus called him uh, to follow him, he, he, and they, his friends were telling this guy, you know, we found the Messiah. He's from Jesus of Nazareth. He's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I could say a few towns around here that I would say the same thing about, but I don't want to insult anybody. Uh, you know, is he from there? Can anything good come from that town? That's the way they felt about Jesus and where he was from. He lived in this despised providence. It was all fairly quiet when he was born. Uh, Herod caused a stir when he murdered babies because of the birth of this king. The older he got, and as he started his public ministry, the more he suffered. His opponents rose up against him till ultimately he died on the cross, suffering and dying in our place. These humble beginnings established his kingdom. It created a way that human beings could become citizens of that great kingdom by paying for their sins so that they could have a relationship with God and come back into his presence, into his family. When you see the growth of the kingdom from that point forward, you had 12 disciples chosen. Now, these guys were real winners, weren't they? People you'd want to pick on your team. You know, a couple of old fishermen... And I know about a couple of old fishermen because my family are commercial fishing, fishing people. And there's nothing impressive about them. I love them to death. But, you know, they're just fishermen. Not extremely well-educated as these men were not. Uh, one of them was a tax collector. One of them was a, a, an insurrectionist. They were not a very impressive band. But by the time you get to the book of Acts, here's what's being said of, said of them. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have come here now. Twelve men causing trouble all over the world. And then the gospel spread through these twelve men into all the lands from these very humble beginnings, from that little acorn, from that one seed. And now today we say we see that Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world. It's the largest religion in the world. There are over 2 billion Christians in the world. The next largest religious group are the Muslims, and they have 1.5 billion. And then it goes down from there. In Brazil, just give you a few examples. In 2000, 16.2% of the population were Protestants. In 2010, 22.2%. In Vietnam, uh, Protestants in Vietnam have grown over 600% in the last decade. In Nigeria, the number of Christians has grown from 21% in 1953 to 48% in 2003, in just 50 years. Uh, South Korea, Christianity has grown from 20% in 1985 to almost 30% in 2005. In 1900, there were no Christian churches, no Protestant churches at all in Korea. Just think about that. In 1900, there were no churches in Korea at all. And now, today, 
six new churches open every day in South Korea. And it has nine of the world's largest churches. Today, Korea is 30% Christian with 7,000 churches in Seoul alone. I could go on with other statistics. But, you know, we look around us and it's easy to become discouraged. Just like some people get discouraged with the process. You know, it's taking a long time. It doesn't seem to be working. But yes, it is working. Christianity is growing. It's growing all over the world. Maybe not in our zip code as much, but it can come back around again. That's what Jesus is doing. He's come to earth, and it is inevitable that his kingdom will be built. It's all part of his process. And that process will reach its fruition when Jesus returns when he redeems his people and lifts the curse on the broken earth, and he will bring in the new heavens and the new earth to make everything new, where the dwelling place of God is with man, and where he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe every tear away from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And it says there in Revelation 21, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. From those very humble beginnings, Jesus is going to make all things new. This is where history is going. It is obscure in its beginnings, but it's going to become one day from this little acorn a great new kingdom that will last forever. Are you part of that kingdom? Are you uh, hoping in that kingdom Are you living and working for that kingdom or are you trying to set up your own little kingdom with yourself in control like Adam and Eve Eve did? So how should we respond to this? What should we do in order to become citizens of that kingdom and to see God's word sown in our lives and to grow? You know, we are part of that process as individuals. It's not just that God is building a great church, a great kingdom worldwide, But it starts in each one of our hearts. The word is sown and it grows. So we can become discouraged with the process in our own lives. We don't see the growth we, we would like to see. So what do we do about that? How can we become great citizens in God's great kingdom? In Luke 17, uh, it says this, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God does not come with observation, he says. It's not a set of rules to be observed. It's not trying harder. As we look at these passages, these parables that Jesus has given us here, he tells us how it comes. It comes through the gospel the seed being sown and growing up in our hearts, which means, as I said last week, as we hear the Word, as we see the Gospel and understand uh, what it's all about and the implications it has for us, our lives slowly become in line with that truth. That's the growth that we see. The Gospel is not something that we embrace right at the beginning of our Christianity and then we move on to other things, no, we continuously hear the gospel and apply it in our lives. And that's how 
we follow the commandments. That's how we grow in our faith, by a deeper, deeper application of the gospel to our lives. Look at verse 24. We've already seen that the kingdom comes through the word, being sown and God causing the growth. But he says here in 24 something interesting. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now this is, doesn't say it's a parable, but it is a bit of a parable, because Jesus is really saying the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And uh, you know, we hear a lot of debate about that today in this uh, election year. But the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Well, Jesus is saying that's true of those who listen. If you pay attention to what you hear, if you pay attention to the gospel, to the words sown in your life, if you listen to it and you appropriate it and you dwell on it and you let it transform you, you will get more. You will get more of it. You will grow. But if you neglect that word, you will be like the soils in the first parable that where the word gets choked out because you're more interested in the things of the world than, than, the, than the word. Or uh, you, you want a comfortable life or ease instead of the word. So it's important that we listen to the gospel. It's the motivation for Jesus' kingdom. It's what fuels our fire to obey and serve in that kingdom. As we see what he's done for us, as we see uh, what he's doing in our lives and in the world and how he laid down his life and suffered and died in our place and took the, the wrath of God for us on the cross, that motivates us to say, hey, you know, he did this much for me so he could make me a part of his kingdom. How can I neglect what he's done? How can I please him? How can I follow him? But if we neglect that, we'll lose it, the Bible tells us. All we have to do is look around us. Churches who've stopped preaching the gospel are dying churches. A nation whose churches have stopped preaching the gospel becomes a nation like the United States is today because people no longer listen to God's word. They no longer have the gospel, and it's being taken away from them. We must listen to the gospel. Now, the parable of the mustard seed tells us that the word looks insignificant, but it will produce results all out of proportion to itself. Like the mustard seed, the word of the gospel seems foolish to us. The word of the gospel is a story of a man who failed. He, he was killed in the end. Yet, it produces amazing fruit in our lives. The Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. It's the gospel. The word may enter our heart without fanfare and make no great difference at first, but the more we learn, the more it transforms us. When we accept the word into our hearts, we really don't have any idea what we've gotten ourselves into. We just open ourselves up to it. It will do the work. Look at the parable of the grain. It tells us that there's power in the word. You know, the, the farmer sows the seed. He has no idea how it grows, he says. The power is hidden. It's mysterious. All by itself it grows. And this means that the seed is the Word. The Word has spiritual power, as Paul said in Romans chapter 1. The Word gives us spiritual life. It takes time to work, though. 
We need to be patient with the process. So I want to encourage you. Listen to God's word, especially the gospel. Don't get discouraged. It's a process. God causes the growth. He will bless his word as we listen to it. No one lights a lamp, Jesus says, and puts it under bed. Jesus is saying, believe me, I've come to show the whole world the kingdom of God and everyone will eventually see it. Don't despair during the long wait. Don't despair at the world. Don't despair in your own life. As Daniel 2 tells us, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. We, we, why would you want to be a part of any other kingdom? Why would you want to set up your own kingdom? This is the kingdom that's going to last forever, and you are invited freely to become a citizen of that kingdom, a member of God's family. We just need to say yes to the gospel. Hear the word, embrace it, and bring it into your heart and let it do its great saving work in us. I invite you to do that today. For all of us, even for the, long, uh, the longest, most faithful Christian, to keep listening to the gospel, keep embracing it, keep working it down in your life, and it will bring a great harvest in your heart, a great fruit in your life. But it starts with a little tiny seed, and God has given us that, and he will bless it. Let's pray together.